Good evening, everybody. How's it going tonight? Good. Pretty good over here. I'm doing good. Thank you. I appreciate you asking. I'm pre- I appreciate being vertical these days. I'm doing this um, training to get ready for a half marathon. Yeah, that's how I feel about it, too. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about this for the next eight weekends. So just, just get ready for it because... It's the only thing I'm thinking about because I think about it constantly, like how do I survive what's coming? I got to go out on a um, training run with our team, with some of the runners from our team a couple of weeks ago. It was really interesting uh, watching the different um, paces at which all these runners go. There was a 10-year-old girl who came in like 10 minutes before I did on a five-mile run, like fast, amazing. And then there were people that were a little behind me, you know, like a little too, and that's fine, you know, so, but it's really interesting in a, in a race or when you're doing a training run together with others or whatever, you got different paces and you have different strides. I got back into running a little before we announced this, um, this, uh, half marathon thing we're doing. And, uh, cause I, what happened was I went up on vacation last summer or last October to see my son who's going to school at Humboldt state and he's playing ultimate Frisbee. So they're out in the football field, you know, practicing their ultimate Frisbee game. And there's these college students running around the track. And everybody who ran by had a different stride. And everyone, everyone's stride matched their personality. It was just fascinating. If you, you know, ever get a chance to watch people, just, just watch them run. You know, some of you people watch anyway, just watch them run. It's just fascinating. But we're all at different places in this run. And that's how it is with us as followers of Christ as well. We're all at different places in this run. I had the opportunity this morning to go up to Auburn and speak at a men's breakfast for a church up in Auburn. And there's a bunch of guys up there, and they're all in, a diff- they're all in different places in their spiritual journey. And their church is in a different place as a church in their spiritual journey than Lakeside Church is. Because every church is kind of in a different spot or a different season as we run along in our race. And the Bible uses racing as a metaphor for the Christian life often. And so that, it, you know, it's very appropriate for us. And uh, we're spending some time this month talking about what counts in our Christian journey. I want to follow Christ. I want to follow Christ. I want to follow him with everything I have. I believe most of you, the reason you come on the weekend to our big gatherings, the reason many of you are in small groups, the reason many of you are reading the scriptures for yourselves is because you want to move forward and make progress in your spiritual life with Christ. There's probably a few of you who come just because someone promised to take you out to dinner after church if you showed up. You know, I I get that. And that's fine because even then you're hearing about what it means to grow in this process of following Jesus. And that's an excellent thing. So wherever you are on that journey, we're just trying to walk through what counts as a follower of Christ. And so we've talked through several things already. We talked a couple of weeks ago about how our oikos, which is the um, Greek biblical word for our neighborhood or our network, those 8 to 15 people that God has placed into our lives and placed us in the midst of them, those people matter. Those people are loved by God, and God wants us to love and care for and serve those people. They matter to him. So that counts. We talked about how worship gatherings count. It matters that we get together. It matters that we sing praise together. It matters that we hear God's word together. It matters that we just join together because God designed us to need each other. And so this, this counts. It's not like you're getting you know, notches in your belt because you showed up at worship one more time. But it, it counts like it matters. It changes us. It moves us forward on that journey with Christ. We talked about baptism and how baptism counts because it's a demonstration of usually new faith in Jesus. 
At least it's a demonstration of my faith in Jesus, and so baptism counts. It matters. Leadership matters because nobody follows Jesus without somebody leading them somewhere in that journey. Discipleship matters because Jesus said, I want you to be disciples of mine, and I want you to make disciples of other people so that they will be disciples of Jesus as well. And so discipleship matters. So there's a lot of these things that count, that, that matter. And we've been talking about the idea that, you know, the things that count get counted. And what, count, what gets counted gets done. And those are the kind of things we're talking about here uh, at Lakeside these days. So today I want to take you on one more step. We've got another step next week. But today one more step in this journey of what counts. And the theme for today is this. Generosity counts. The process of becoming generous, of becoming more generous in my faith journey with Jesus, that counts. And some of you, you, you know, your, your antennas will go up as soon as someone t- mentions money or generosity or giving or any of those things. Your antenna goes up and your ears close down and you sit there like this the rest of the time. Stop it. <laughs> okay, so, so just... Give me a chance to kind of walk this through, okay? I, I, we're doing this, I want to do this talk with you. I want to walk this through with you because I believe that, there you go, thank you. I appreciate that. This matters so much in your spiritual journey. This shapes you in your spiritual journey. And so if you're a guest and you're coming to church for the first time in years, because the last time you were at church 20 years ago, the pastor talked about money and you said, I'll never go back. And someone finally persuaded you. And then you come back and the first time you're back, you're talking about money. It's like, Hang on a second. We're not really talking about money. We're talking about generosity, and generosity will change your heart. And let me just describe that for you uh, for a few minutes as we go along. I believe we are never more like God than when we give. And we are never more like God than when we give generously. And you see this all the way through the scriptures. John 3.16 says it in a way that might be surprising. You probably know this verse, right? One of the most famous verses, if not the most famous verse in the Bible. What does it say? God so loved the world that he gave. It's the motivating factor for God. God loved the world so much that he gave. Now, he gave his son. So generosity is not always about money. We're not talking about money. We're talking about generosity. But God loved the world so much that it moved him to give to the world. That's sort of low-hanging fruit. That's just kind of a really obvious, clear one. And if you want to be like Jesus and you want to grow in that, that love for Jesus, then you'll be growing in your love for this world and it will motivate you to give. That's just how it works. And that's going to move us forward in our journey with Christ. Now, let me take you to a couple of scriptures that are not quite as obvious as that one. They still talk about it, but um, not maybe as easy or quick, uh, quick to grasp this. The first one is found in Matthew chapter 6. So if you have your copy of the Bible and you want to open up to that, let me encourage you to do it. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures with you, we've got some on the chairs near you, so you're welcome to reach over and grab one of those. I'd love to have you be in the scripture so you're because that's another process of growing up in our faith in Christ, and it counts. So Matthew chapter 6, and uh, let me read for you verses 19 to 24. Listen to what Jesus says about this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. 
If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, again, a lot of you have heard that passage of Scripture. That may be new for some of you, but what that is is investment training from Jesus. I wanted to say that's investment advice from Jesus, but it sounds like whenever Jesus something, it's, says something, it's not really advice. It's like, this is true. You know, If your investment counselor gives you something to do, that's advice. Do it or not, you get to choose. But when Jesus said it's more like, it's more like training here, this is how this works. So Jesus is, gives us some really clear things about investing. He says, I don't want you to invest in earth, on, on earth. I don't, I don't want you to store up treasures on earth. Now he's saying, he's not saying don't have any investments. He's not saying don't have any savings. And you'll see that more in a moment when we go to the Apostle Paul. You can go backwards to the book of Proverbs and you can see it over and over and over again in Proverbs. The Bible talks about saving and the Bible talks about investing. What Jesus is saying is don't let your whole investment be only on earth. Because the problem with earthly investment is it decays or it gets stolen or it gets corrupted. Nothing invested on earth is permanent. A lot of us found that out in 2008. A lot of us will find it out again in 2015. Or 16, or 7. It's coming. You know, because it comes, right? Because nothing invested on earth is permanent. It's all temporary. It's all fleeting. So it says, be careful of what you're storing up on earth. Rather, invest in heaven. Because if you want something that's permanent, you want some eternal investment that's really going to amount to something forever, make sure you invest in heaven. Lay up your treasures there. And we'll talk about how to do that in just a minute. But Jesus says, that's what really matters. That's what really lasts. And then he adds some interesting kind of statement. He says, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. And I'm like, wait, we were just talking about money. We were talking about investing. What's my eye have to do with it? He says, well, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. The word healthy is a word that means single or single-hearted or single-focused, not distracted. He says, if your eye is not distracted, your whole body will be full of light. Do your eyes ever get distracted? Yeah. What distracts your eyes? Shiny things, color, light. All kinds of things in this world grab our attention. They grab our eyes. Men, there's a lot of stuff that grab your eyes that you should not let grab your eyes. But there's a lot of stuff in the world, the shiny things in this world, they grab our attention and they steer us away from our investment in heaven. He says, if your eye is single or if your eye is healthy, if it's, if it's devoted toward the things of heaven, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye gets distracted by the shiny things... Your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Oh, wait a second. Let me, turn a, let me flip a switch. Let me get some light on in here. And when you flip the switch, the, light, the, light gets, or the darkness gets darker. He goes, if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And that darkness comes when we let our eyes be distracted by the shiny things. And I'm telling you, they are very distracting. Do I have to tell you that? 
I'm just, I'm just, that's just personal testimony. Man, they're distracting. I want what you drive. Well, some of you. Yeah. I want a house where you live. I mean, there's all these shiny things, right? And they get my attention. And Jesus says, watch your eyes because if the light that is in you is darkness because you get distracted by the shiny things, then how great is the darkness? He says, you can't serve two masters. Your master can be money or your master can be God, but you can't serve them both. And we get distracted. And then our light gets full of darkness. Now, Jesus makes some interesting statements about generosity in the process of this, of this little statement that he's making to us. He offers us a remedy for that. He says, if you invest in heaven, your whole body will be full of light. And if you invest in heaven, your whole body will be able to give light to others. You're trying to invest in your oikos. You're trying to invest in the people around you. An investment in your neighbors is an investment in heaven. Because now the light that is in you is not distracted by the shiny things of this world. And now there's light that's not only in your life, but it's through your life to others. There's amazing power in that. There's an amazing investment in heaven in that. And then Jesus gives a reason why. He says, because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, when I very first read that passage years and years and years ago, I thought it was just a statement of truth. Wherever your treasure is, there will your heart be also. But I've learned over the years that it's also a directional statement. See, generosity is directional. When I choose generosity, when I choose to invest generously in others, it steers my heart. So I can sit down with my wife and we can pray through what we're going to do and how we're going to give and those kinds of things. And when we, when we follow up with that and we put our treasure somewhere, we say, this is where we want our treasure. This is where we want our heart. We put our treasure there. Our heart follows that. Generosity is directional. It moves me wherever I put my treasure. There's amazing power in that. You ever get stuck in your spiritual journey? I get stuck in my spiritual journey sometimes. I know I'm not supposed to. I know I'm a pastor and I'm not supposed to. And I know every Saturday and Sunday I better be on the, I better be on the game, right? But I get stuck in my spiritual journey just like I bet you do sometimes. One of the ways to become unstuck in your spiritual journey is to decide on generosity. To decide to be generous to others because where your treasure is, there your heart will move also. Want movement in your spiritual life? Generosity is a key to that. That's what Jesus describes for us. That's why generosity blesses the giver. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Generosity blesses the giver. Now, it blesses the receiver as well. We'll talk about that in a moment. But it blesses the giver. I'm blessed when I give. It's remarkable. You are blessed. Some of you know this firsthand. You are blessed when you give. Now, let's make it more practical. If you have your Bible open still, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Several pages to the right if you're new in the Bible. So go toward the back of the book and you'll come to 1 Corinthians. Go to chapter 16. And let me read this statement from the Apostle Paul. Now, this is interesting because you're going to hear some of what Paul says. You go, wait, doesn't that contradict what Jesus said? 
Hang with me and let's see what this is talking about, all right? 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. Paul says, Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. So Paul says, hey, we're preparing a collection. We're going to, we're going to give a collection. By the way, just a couple of philosophy things about Lakeside Church. If you're, if you're newer with us, you probably need to hear this. A couple of philosophy things. We never take an offering at Lakeside Church. And if you've been paying attention, you, you might say, yes, you did. You did one today. Well, no, we did not. We did not take an offering. It's impossible to take what someone freely gives. So I make it a point in my heart, and when we talk about the offering, we give an offering. When we take an offering, that means the people up front are taking stuff from you and taking it for ourselves. We don't do that. When we do an offering here, we are all giving an offering. My wife and I give our offering here to Lakeside Church. We give an offering, so we, don't, we never take one. We do give one every week, but we never take one. Another philosophy for us, uh, or another thing I want you to know about this, just for how we're doing this today, this talk is not about wheedling money from you. I, I, I looked at the schedule of our program today, and I thought, you know, maybe we should put the, af- the offering after the talk. I mean, that's a very clear application point from the message. Like, give the talk about generosity, and then pass the offering plates, and let people give generously. Wow, that's a great plan. And I thought, let's just not do that. I'm going to talk to you in a moment about having a plan for generosity. If I say, have a plan for generosity, and then I give you a talk, and then I don't even let you go home and think about it or pray about it or talk about it amongst yourselves, that's not a plan. That's spontaneous. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's not what we're talking about. I'm not trying to wheedle money out of you today at all. I don't want to take anything that's yours. I never want to take something that's yours but I passionately want you to loosen your grip on what's God's so that you become generous with it because it steers your heart. So Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, we're, we're preparing for that collection that I told you about. So what was happening was the Christians in Jerusalem and in the area of Judea, apparently there was a famine or something, but there was poverty going on among the Christians in Israel. And now Paul's talking to the Galatians. He was also talking to the, to, he's talking to the Corinthians. He was also talking to the Galatians. He was also talking to the Macedonians. He had these um, giving plans set up for them. And he says, I want to walk through that giving plan I told you about. Because we want to take care of those saints in Israel, those believers in Jesus who are suffering. He says, we can benefit them by our givings. Generosity benefits the giver, but, ben- but generosity clearly also benefits the receiver. And so we can benefit others if we give, he says to the Corinthians. So let's just practice that. So Paul says, I want you to follow a generosity plan. And I want you to bless the receivers of your generosity according to a plan. 
And so in a moment, I'm going to tell you about this plan that he describes for them. But I just want to remind you of a little plan that we processed together back in January and February. If you were with us, we did this thing called Next 10. We entered into a three-year process where we made some commitments and we've started giving some offerings toward changing the world in the, in the next 10 years. And you may remember we gave an offering that very first weekend of, of our next 10 commitments. We said, let's, let's give $200,000 to Way Ministries in Malawi. And Mary Beth Sexton leads that, and I want you to hear a little bit from her here today. Hi, Lakeside Church. This is Mary Beth Sexton. I'm your strategic missions partner in Malawi, Africa. And I'm excited to give you an update on your generous giving through Next 10 and the difference it's making. Just in case you've forgotten the amazing, amazing contribution during Next 10, Lakeside Church raised 200000 for our program and our ministry in Malawi, Africa. And it's amazing. 200000 is an amazing amount of money for you crazy people to do in like five church services over one weekend. It's amazing, but it's the heart of Christ. The 200000 that you raised during Next 10 for Malawi, Africa is specifically for land and for the building of our school. Right now, we have 62 children in our school, and these children have been referred by social welfare. They're the neediest kids in, in Durandi. So when we buy our land and build, we'll build a bigger nursery and a primary school, and then we'll build a secondary school. That will be the third phase of that so that we can walk with our children all the way to age 18. And then from there, whether they're choosing vocational education, whether they're choosing to be pastors, whether they're choosing to go to the university or Bible school, then we'll walk with them after that. Right now, we're looking at land. We're looking at two pieces of land. And once we, um, once we move forward, we'll be negotiating the price of that land. Then we'll be purchasing the land. And then we'll have an architect design the entire piece of property and after that stage then we'll begin to build I, ca I cannot, I'm still in awe of you all raising that amount of money giving so generously to the country that I love Malawi, Africa and we thank you Way Ministry thanks you my staff thank you, the children that are under our care, the families that are under our care thank you, you know when money is used to fight for the cause of Christ, that's something absolutely awesome. Yeah, that's good stuff, right? And that, that whole piece just reminds us that giving generously blesses the receiver. Uh, you don't need a sermon for that, but it sure helps to see a story where it's true. And I talked to Mary Beth when she was home this summer, and they're zeroing in on the land that they want. They're negotiating. They're trying to get the best land with the best price and all that has to happen to make that work. But that's moving forward because you and I gave generously to that project. And we followed a plan. We said, here's a three-year three process. Here's a three-year journey. Let's create a plan and let's get this done. And we're doing it. By God's grace, we're doing it. Now, Paul says to the people in Corinth, he says, I want you to follow a generosity plan. And so here's how he lays it, lays it out. He says, I want, here's how I want you to do it. On the first day of the week, I want you to do this. So first thing he's saying is, I want you to be strategic. I want you to plan this out and be 
strategic on the first day of the week. I want you to prioritize saving. Now, if you're thinking about what Jesus said, Jesus said, don't save up treasures on earth where moth and rust and stuff destroys it. Well, how come Paul's saying it differently? Well, Jesus said, don't save it up for yourselves, but invest it in heaven. How do you invest it in heaven? Paul says it, store it up for somebody else. Store it up so that you can give it away to somebody else. So I want you to be strategic. I want you to prioritize savings. He says, I want you to do it every week. I want, you to, I want you to make it regular giving. I want you to make it a regular pattern. We call it today a habit. I want you to make it a habit. See, discipleship with Jesus is intentional. When we choose to follow Jesus, we intentionally do some things. Generosity is one of those. Paul says, I want you to do it on the first day of every week. He says, I want you to do this in keeping with your income. Now, that phrase is a word that means I want you to do this according to your prosperous journey. At any given time in a church the size of Lakeside, there are some people that are not prospering. He's really not talking to you. Now, the Philippians, when Paul was writing to them, they weren't prospering either, but they begged for the chance to give even though they weren't prospering. Paul said, oh, you can do that. But he says, I'm really talking to those who are prosperous on their journey. Now, you figured out what that means. I mean, you never have enough. How many of you have enough already? How much would be enough? M-O-R-E. More, right? So you never have enough, but are you prospering? He says, I want you to do this strategically. I want you to make it a regular pattern. I want it to be intentional. I want it to be in, in accordance with your prosperous journey that God has you on, whatever that looks like. And that's what he laid out for the Corinthians. He said, that's what I want you to do. Now, for us, I want to make it even more practical for Lakeside. I want, you, I want to make it more practical for us today. I want to make it more practical for me today and tell you some of the things that I do with this. As we talk about what counts, we've been telling you Lakeside Church counts certain things. We count how many people are in our worship gatherings. It matters to us. Not that you're all just a number. You're all you're all persons and you matter as a person but it matters to know how many services we need to schedule and those kinds of things it matters where we put our energy in terms of how many people come so we count that we also count our offerings you think it would be better for us to count it than the than have the bank count it for us don't you yeah i i I think so that's just normal thing so so we count that right we also count how many households are giving to lakeside church Because we need to know if that's increasing. If it's increasing, we're making progress. If it's going down, we're not making progress. And we need to address that because that matters because generosity counts. In this last year, we've had 1,959 households contribute to Lakeside at some level. That's amazing. We also count tithing. Now, I don't know how you count tithing. You know what tithing is? A tithe is 10%, and there's all these patterns in the scriptures about 10%. Now, I'm not going to talk to you about doing that, like you have to do that today, but that's a pattern in the Bible that, that followers of Christ have practiced tithing, giving 10%. Well, I don't know how to track that because I don't know how much money you make. I know how much money I make, but I don't tell anybody else how much money I make. That seems a little awkward. I mean, we sit down and talk about it. How much do you make? You know, I, you know we're not going to do that, right? So we're like, well, how do, you, how do you know if people are tithing? And how do you know if the church is growing in that, in that regard? We said, well, let's just put it on the lowest common denominator. Let's just assume everybody makes minimum wage. I'm pretty much guessing that if you work at Costco, you make more than minimum wage. I'm pretty much guessing if you work at Intel, you make a lot more than minimum wage. Let's just put it, let's just put it at, the, at this entry-level thing. 
How many lakeside households are tithing according to a minimum wage tithe? 10% of what would be a minimum wage. Now, if you make more than that, you decide what that tithe is. But I found out that there are, in this year, 386 lakeside households that are tithing at minimum wage. On one hand, you go, well, that's pretty good. But I would also tell me, there's probably some room to grow in that category. Okay, we're just counting. We're just trying to measure what counts, and generosity matters. So Paul says, and I would say to us, be prepared to give. Prepare a strategy for being generous. And you can take Lakeside out of it. Make it, make it somebody else if you want. That's, that's fine. For the purpose of what we're talking about, prepare to give generously in your life. Now, spontaneous Generosity can be fantastic. It's not bad. How many of you participated so far in the ice bucket challenge? How many of you have poured ice water over your head to help raise money for ALS? Put them nice and high unless you're cold. Yeah, I did it two weeks ago. We had the high schoolers and middle schoolers out there on the amphitheater, and I went out there, and one of the kids had challenged me, so I poured ice water on my head. It actually felt nice that day. So, um, so I did some research. not very hard to find this. I went on the ALS Association website from July 29th until yesterday, one month, the month of August, basically. Americans have contributed through that ice bucket challenge $94 million. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I want to celebrate that. My father-in-law died of ALS. It's a horrible horrible disease, and people are dying from that. And if we can make a difference, we ought to make a difference in that. That's cool. Ninety-four stinking million dollars. You know how much they raised last August? 2.7 million. All because somebody got an idea that if we can get people to pour ice buckets, buckets of ice water over their head and then put it on Facebook, people will do it. And they did, and it was remarkable. It's fantastic. And so spontaneous generosity can be a really good thing. But generosity is always greater when it's prepared for. It is always greater when it's strategic. I went back and did some research on this also. The latest numbers I could find, in fact, the only numbers I could find, said that in 2008, the Christians in America, that's part of us, the Christians in America earned $2.5 trillion dollars. That's enough money just with the Christians in America and what we earn. That's enough money to take all the Christians in America and make us part of the G7. Like the seven top economic powers in the, in the world, Christians in America would be one of those top seven if our income was considered a, a GDP. $2.5 trillion. You know what would, we would be able to give if every Christ follower in America tithed on that? Every single year, we would give $250 billion. $94 million is a lot, and that's what happens with spontaneous generosity, and it's beautiful. $250 billion leaves that in the cold. If we would all just tithe, if we would all just follow a plan of generosity in our lives. I just think that's amazing. When Donna and I were in high school, long before we got married, well, not too long before we got married, 
uh, we decided to tithe. We tithe to Lakeside. We give a tenth of our income to Lakeside Church. And some of you will go, that's weird. Don't, doesn't, doesn't Lakeside pay your salary? Yes. But we're Lakesiders. We are committed here. We're faithful here. And so we tithe a tenth of our income to this ministry because we plan to be generous toward it. It matters to us. We build our tithe into our budget. We made it a plan. We just build it into our budget. It's the top line in our budget. And it goes out first. We give it first. But you know, there was something else that needed to happen on our budget a few years ago. There's always somebody in our world today who wants resources for some good thing. I mean, I'm not talking about someone who's homeless or, or poor or, you know, or needy. They have a handout for food on today or a dollar today. Or something. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people that want money to do good things. Like, would you support my run for World Vision to raise funds for water in Africa? You, there, there's always that kind of stuff going on, right? And I'm doing the same thing to you or whoever. So that stuff's always going on. And people, we've got nieces and nephews who are going out on short-term mission trips and those kinds of things. We're always getting like hit up for money. And I always feel bad. I'm like, oh, I don't have any money to give and they want money and I'm going to have to give like at least $25 and I don't know how I'm going to afford this and you know, all that stuff that you all go through every time you get one of those notes that come in probably three or four per day. And so a few years ago, Don and I just decided we're going to build generosity into our budget because we always got anxious about it and angst about it. And we said, this is not working. Let's just build this into our budget. So we built in an extra line in our budget called generosity. We just got it in the budget. If nobody asked for it this month, then we store it up for next month, and it just builds up in the budget. We almost never have to say no these days because of not enough money. Now, sometimes we say no because we go, that's not part of our plan, or it's not what our, where our heart is for our generosity purposes. But we almost never have to say no because we don't have enough funds, because we budgeted for it. We followed a plan. We're doing exactly what Paul told the Corinthians to do. Follow a plan. And the reason I'm telling you all of this, besides the fact that it's in the Bible, is because of what it's done in my own heart. I am as greedy as any of you. I am as envious or as capable of envy as any of you. I am as stingy as any of you. But I've watched the Lord take my heart and open it up because we've planned to give, and it's delightful. And it has changed me, which is why we think it counts. Because it moves us forward on that journey with Christ. Now, we're all at different places. We're all at different parts. We're all in different parts of the race. But whatever part you're in today, what would happen if you would take it one step further and you would say, I'm going to plan to be generous in this area of my life. It will be a blessing to you as the giver. It will be the blessing to somebody else as a receiver. And it will be amazing.